Martin, I really like your outfit today. We didn't call each other, just great minds think alike. Um, well, it's great to be with you. I'm going to show a couple images on the screen, and you are more than welcome to react however you see fit. I'm going to leave it at that. House is divided, house of the Lord. Do you notice your response? Not just what you thought, but your physical, bodily response. It's hard to see in this service, but the other services, I could see faces go from joy and slowly somber. We respond to things as physical beings. It's because we are not just spirit, but we are also bodies. If, you, if you're sitting next to someone that you know, give them a little poke. They can poke you back. It's a real person sitting next to you. It's not just a figment of your imagination. Uh, it, when God created us, he made us flesh and bone, body and spirit, material and immaterial. In Genesis 2, the account of creation, we read this. When the Lord God formed the man, uh, uh, the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We see in that passage, God's taking the physical, the dust, and breathing his very spirit into it. And then we are created. And we are created in the image of God. And he said both physical and the spirit are good. But we live in a culture that loves to divide over everything. And we're dualistic in even how we view ourselves as human beings. That sometimes we think of ourselves more of just in the abstract, the cognitive or our feelings. And, and we kind of just get rid of the body. We think the body's not important. In church history, there was a time where the flesh, the body was actually thought to be evil. And it had to be beaten to submission. But even more so in our culture now, we, we are just a hedonistic culture where just give the flesh whatever the flesh wants. Keep it on more. As long as it doesn't hurt you, I'm going to do whatever I want with my body. But that's not how we were created. We were created both body and spirit, material and immaterial. And both are called good. If you're joining us for the first time, or just to remind you, we're in a series called uh, Healthy Rhythms, where we're looking at different spiritual disciplines, and even that name, spiritual disciplines, like shows like, oh, these are just things we do with our head or our heart, but the things we do, we're adopting them from the life of Jesus, because they were practices that him and his followers since him have, have, have practiced to be connected to the Father, to grow in maturity in Christ for the sake of our neighbors. And this morning, we're looking at fasting. And this is one of the, the spiritual disciplines, probably the most physical one that we experience that we are being invited into. We've been uh, kind of teasing it out over the last couple of weeks, and we've been joking like, oh, there's no donuts on when we talk about fasting. There's plenty of donuts. Go eat them, you heathens. And, uh, and, uh, but the reason, like, there's kind of a buzz around it because it's something we don't really practice in the West or in our tradition at best, in our tradition, maybe during the, series, the season of Lent, we, we, some of us forego like chocolate or video games or alcohol or something for 40 days. And that's good, but that's not fasting. That's abstinence. Because fasting at its most basic level 
is going without food or water for a specific amount of time. If you've ever had to have surgery or get blood drawn, you've been told by the doctor, hey, no food or water after midnight until you get the procedure. So you fasted and you book your appointment as early as you can because God forbid you go like three hours without eating, right? Or else you turn into a hangry monster. But at, So most of us have experienced fasting in some form or fashion. Our culture right now, like in the last, I don't know, five, ten years, intermittent fasting has been like the diet craze. You, you forgo like breakfast and wait till lunch and it's supposed to speed up your metabolism or whatever. It's a dieting trick, right? And, and, but, but so what, what's different besides fasting according to the scriptures and what the world says? That's what we're going to get at this morning. But uh, much of what we're going to be looking at, because this is something like they don't teach it about you in seminary. They don't teach it to you in seminary. Like most of us are not well versed in this. This is one of the writings I lean heavily on this morning. It's by a author, theologian, Scott McKnight, and it's called Fasting, and it's in a series of ancient practice, called Ancient uh, Practices. Uh, so uh, his definition of fasting, according to the scriptures, is fasting is a natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. Read that again. Fasting is a natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. That word natural is interesting. If you think about it, probably the most grievous moment any of us face is when someone we know, a loved one, dies. And often when, if you have someone in your life and they're, they're mourning the loss of someone, what's the first thing you do? You bring them food. You remind them to eat. Because eating, it's as if their body just naturally is responding to that grievous moment by shutting down and not eating. It's a natural, inevitable response to a grievous, sacred moment in life. And he has this chart, A, B, and C. And A is the sacred moment. The response is, is B, fasting, and the result is what happens from that response. And he fills it out this way. Death, sin, fear, threats, needs, sickness. These are some of the sacred moments, the grievous sacred moments we encounter in the world. And the response to those is fasting. And the results may be life, forgiveness, safety, hope, answers, health. And throughout his writing and, and throughout this morning, he, uh, he will help us remember that often we focus on the C column, the results. God, if I fast, then I'll have life or forgiveness, safety, whatever it may be. And we use it as a tool almost to manipulate God. God, my tummy's bubbling and rumbling. Not bubbling, that'd be bad. My tummy's rumbling <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, all right, move on. And uh, my tummy's rumbling, so you have to hear me. And we twist it to manipulate God. But really what he says is, no, it's an opportunity for us to work through, to focus on, to sit in the sacred, grievous moments of life. Because we live in a culture that wants to be rah, rah, life is amazing, everything's awesome, right? But we all know life isn't awesome all the time. Those real things happen, death, sin, fear, threats, needs, sickness. And fasting is a response to those things because we are embodied people to bring our entire body before God. 
Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Joel. And, and the prophet, he writes this, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Notice, fasting is paired with these physical expressions of weeping and mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. And here's the response, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Joel is writing to the the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah and saying, you have rebelled against Yahweh, the one true God, but return with fasting. Bring your whole body before him. And it's a warning because things are about to get worse for his people because of their rebellion. Fasting is found throughout the New Testament. They were were set fast for the nation of Israel, the day of atonement, where they would recognize their sin and by fasting sit under the weight of their sin and repent before Yahweh as an entire people group. And there were other times where where people had individual fasts. King David, when he had, uh, because of uh, the the adulterous affair he had and the murder to cover it up, his first child was not going to live, and his response to the grievous action of his sin was fasting. Fasting had become so much the part of, of a follower of Yahweh's life that they actually um, the, they started fasting twice a week on on Monday or on uh, Wednesday Mondays and Wednesday. Thir- to my notes. They fasted two days a week. And, uh, and, uh, and, and they typically would go from Sunday, or sundown to sundown. And it had become kind of this legalistic thing that they started to do, much like the Pharisees, much like religious people tend to do. Take something that's good and a gift and turn it into something that actually is just a weight for God's people to, to carry. And our New Testament reading comes in this situation. In Matthew 6, Jesus is actually talking about the top three spiritual disciplines in his day of, of, of prayer, of giving to the poor, and fasting. And he's critiquing the Pharisees' hearts. He's saying, you've got it wrong. You're doing this, as Pastor Dan Dan through. you're doing this for the wrong motivation. And this is what Jesus says about fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is critiquing their motivation, their why, that they had been gotten, maybe they started to focus on the sea calm, the results. Can I, if I fast enough, I'll look religious enough, then God will bless me and God will take care of me in special ways because I'm being so holy and pious. The easy thing would have been Jesus would be like, hey, let's just throw that practice out because it's been too corrupted. But he doesn't do that. How does he start that? He says, when you fast... 
When you fast, he's assuming that this practice is still something to be carried on. Just because it's been corrupted doesn't mean you need to stop doing it. No, you need to redefine it. You need to recapture it. You need to get back to the heart of it. So he says, when you fast. And fasting continued to be a tradition throughout the New Testament in the early church. So much so that the early church fasted two days a week on Wednesday and Friday. And basically looked at the Jews and said, we're not going to do it on your day. Nah, we're going to do it on our own day. Because that's a lot more mature, right? Like even back then, they still were fighting back and forth. But to follow Jesus meant you fasted two days a week. And there were other high and holy fastings. They never fasted on the Sabbath. So that's why you can still have donuts. Okay, there, there you go. If this Sunday is your Sabbath, that's when you can still, we will ne- never fast on a Sunday. But it started to lose favor for the first 500 years. That's just what Christians did. But with John Wesley in the 1700s, the great Methodist preacher saw that this practice was slipping from the faith. And he says, and I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, <laughs> just what a jab. Like, you call yourself a Methodist? How many times do you fast? Both in England and Ireland, who following the same bad example have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week, as all the stricter Pharisees did. I think he's kind of like, yeah, I like the Pharisees. They were doing it right. That they do not fast twice in the month. Yay, are there not some of you who do not fast one day from the beginning of the year to the end? I'm not sure how I feel about that quote, but it's showing it had lost favor that that Christians were no longer practicing this ancient discipline. But that ancient discipline, again, fasting is a natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. Excuse me. And this is something that, again, our culture has kind of lost shape of. We don't understand what it is. What's the spiritual practice? Why do we do this? And you always have to focus on the grievous moment. What is that moment that may be an invitation to bring your body and spirit in alignment before God? And I want to look at four kind of broad umbrellas that most of us have experienced. And if you haven't, you will eventually. The first one is fasting in response to repentance of sin. This is the most common I see throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> that, that as we sin, as we repent, as we change our body and our mind, how we think about God and his law and the way for human flourishing, we acknowledge we have failed, we have rebelled against him, and in, in response to that, we forego food. And we sit with that pain, the hunger pangs, to remind us of our need for forgiveness. Ancient spiritual writers, they use the language of starving the flesh, that maybe there's a very real physical sin you wrestle with of, of lust or maybe bursts of anger. And they, they have written about how that can be a tool, fasting, to bring the flesh under control. <clears throat> and it's not an act of, of beating the flesh and shame and punishment and guilt, but it's an act of discipline saying, God, I'm coming before you, submitting my whole body and spirit before you, repenting of my sin. If you've ever done this, you will find that things start to bubble up. And it might be hanger or it might be sin. 
and God bringing those things up for you to bring before him as an act of confession and of repentance. Another grievous moment is grief. As I said before, we live in a society that does not know how to grieve well, how to mourn well. We always have to put on our smile. Just have to, we got it together. How many of you in this room this morning are not doing well, but if I ask you, how are you doing? I'm great, Pastor. Fasting is an opportunity to come before God with, with the sorrows of grief, of death, of sin, of brokenness, of corruption in this world, in our own life, in the life of our community, or just the state of the world, and fast and forgo food and let those pains bring up our prayers to God, saying, God, I sit with you in the brokenness of this world. Align my heart, align my will, my spirit, my very flesh and bones with your heart for those who are grieving, for those who are lamenting, or even for our own grief. It's again, aligning our body and spirit before God. Next, supplication or prayers. You see this often throughout the New Testament in the early church. When they went to make, the leaders went to pick new leaders in the early church. It's often uh, fasting and prayer. They go together. That you as an individual or a group or a community or a family, maybe as as you have to make a decision about a job or a school decision or a life change, you come before God and forgo food and, and, and submit yourself to God and his will in your life. And I think this is the easiest one to manipulate because again, oh, my tummy is rumbling, so God has to hear me and give me what I want. That's not what it is. It's focusing on your need for him in that moment. And you get to feast on the spirit. You get to feast on the scripture. As your stomach rumbles, you can use that as an opportunity, a reminder to go to God in prayer about whatever it may be. It may be a prayer for yourself. You may be fasting on behalf of someone else or a situation for someone else. And it's not that we're changing necessarily God's mind, but that we're in that act saying, God, I, I submit myself to you and I trust you. That in this process, you form me more and more in the image of Jesus. The fourth one, standing in solidarity with the poor. This is in a, a couple of the authors I was reading on this practice. They, they all pointed this out. And this one has really stuck out to me because I've grown up, I've lived, I've served in places that are on the upper to the right of society. And if I'm being honest, as I go to... The, the poorer parts of Austin or when I lived in Dallas to South Dallas and would see the homeless and the hungry, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to respond. It normally came with guilt or shame. Like, I don't know how to respond to this. But fasting is an opportunity for us to experience what millions of people around the world experience every day, and that is an empty stomach. As I was reading the early church writers on, on this part of fasting, they often would take the money that they would have used to buy breakfast and lunch that day and take it and give it to the poor. Or they would take that time where they would be eating and go and physically serve the poor. Thoughts and prayers are good, but stepping into action with our bodies to serve those who are hungry without their own will, to stand in solidarity with the poor. 
Now, those four different kind of grievous moments, sacred moments in our life of repenting of sin, of, of grief, of supplication, of standing in solidarity with the poor, these are things that maybe you're being invited to practice this week. Every Monday, we send out an email throughout the series called The Weekly Practice, and it, it outlines how you can begin incorporating whatever the practice is into your life. And this week, it is fasting. And in it, tomorrow morning, you'll be in your, uh, your inbox. And if, if you don't get the emails, you can go ahead and check Facebook or our other social media outlets. And, and it's going to kind of outline some of these scriptures, but it's going to keep pointing to the why. Why are we fasting? What is that sacred moment, that grievous moment that you may be invited into? And again, this is invitation. This is nowhere in the New Testament is this commanded. God's not going to love you more or love you less. You're not going to be more blessed or less blessed if you don't fast. And actually, I want to give some warnings around this. I've been saying earlier, I am not a doctor and I do not play one on the internet. And there are some people that fasting is not healthy for them, depending on your state of health. If this is something you're curious about, but you're not sure, talk to your doctor to see if this is something that would be detrimental to your health. Because throughout history, there have been saints that practiced this where it just became an eating disorder and they died from it. This is something that should not be practiced by children or young, like high schoolers, especially young women that struggle with body image. Because you cannot talk about fasting, I can't, without thinking about body image. And if an eating disorder is something you, that you're processing through or struggle with, this is not an invitation for you. There's mercy and grace to be found in that, but this is not something that I believe God has for you at this time in your life. And also, you need to know your why. If you're doing it just because I say so, like, thank you, but like, but why? What's the grievous moment? Repentance of sin, a decision coming up. How is God inviting you into this practice? And the last morning, just like all the practices, they don't always quote-unquote work. There's times I go read my Bible, like, that was nice. And there's times I read my Bible, like, oh my goodness, the Spirit is alive. There's times I pray and I hear the Spirit of God. And there's times I pray and I'm like, you there? <laughs> there's times I fast where I'm just really hungry. <laughs> and there's times I fast where I sense the Spirit aligning my body and will to His will in my life. But we practice these over and over, trusting that God is active through them. And as we wrap up, there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is being questioned because they're saying, hey, John, the baptizer's disciples, they fast, but yours don't fast. And he's like, you're right. They don't fast because the bridegroom is here. You don't show up to a wedding like, I'm fasting, guys. No, you eat, you drink, you're married, you celebrate. And he was saying, I'm here now, celebrate. But a time is coming when they will fast. And that is the rhythm, the cycle of the follower of Jesus, is that there are seasons that Christ has come and we can feast. We're going to go to the table in a moment and feast on the body and blood of Christ. But Christ will come, so we fast. And it's seasonal. There's times where we feast. There's times where we fast. And it's up to you to discern if God is calling you into this, inviting you into this practice. 
So you'll get the weekly practice this week in your email. There's links actually to this, to this book in there if you would like to get that and all the other kind of books we've been referencing through this. But let me pray for us to see if possibly God's calling people in our community into this practice. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that um, he practiced this faithfully for 40 days. He fasted in the desert and he was tempted by the evil one but didn't sin. We thank you that we now stand in his righteousness and his goodness and in his love for us. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and online who maybe are being sensed that this may be something, a tool to help them grow more in their discipleship to you, Jesus. Give them clarity. What is that grievous moment? Give them strength and give them grace as they fail at it, because they will. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this, but know they're not called into it. May they just kind of shake it off their shoulder and grace say, that's good, but God, you're calling me into something else in this season. That's okay too. But whatever the discipline is, Lord, whatever the practice, may we do it in the grace and forgiveness that is given to us in Jesus. Knowing that the the goal is not to master a technique, but to grow in discipleship, to grow in the likeness of you, Jesus. For the sake of those in our lives who do not yet follow you as Lord. So may this practice help form us more and more into you, Jesus, the King of the universe. In your precious name we pray. Amen.